Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I think sometimes the reason people can't hear clearly the details of what God wants to do is because this thing hasn't happened yet. Right? You got people that are saying, God, give me the details. And God is saying, you're not even, you haven't even separated from the world to live for me exclusively. So if that fits, right, if that if that applies to anyone listening, that would be a first step. If you're if you're someone that's saying, man, I just want, I want God's will for my life, make sure that there's a life of sanctification, that you set yourself apart from some things to the Lord. In your faith, do you ever feel disconnected from God? Do you ever have moments of doubting who God is in your life? In today's message, Pastor Bill explains that there is nothing you can do to separate yourself from the Lord. No matter what is happening in your life, He will always find a way to deliver you. In our walk with Christ, oftentimes it's easy to leave the Holy Spirit behind. You need to always be walking in the Holy Spirit. It will change your life in glorious ways, far greater than you ever could on your own. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, as he begins his message, How You Ought to Walk. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, and for you guys that have been going through the book with us, this chapter represents kind of a, a switching of gears, if you will. You know, Paul has been encouraging the Thessalonians. We've learned a lot about them, his relationship to them. From, the, from chapter 4 through the end of the book, uh, he switches gears to where he's going to be giving a lot of kind of, it's almost like closing exhortations, but there's a lot of them. So if you notice the first word in chapter 4 is finally. And that's kind of like you guys know when preachers say, you know, I'm getting ready to close. Then they're not really getting ready to close. They, they just they just thinking about closing. So uh, Paul saying finally here is not him saying I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. But he's saying it, it's really a, it's letting us know that he's he's moving from information now to some application. And so Paul's got some final application he's going to give for you guys that are taking notes. We're going to cover chapter four, verses one through twelve. And I titled the message today, How You Ought to Walk. Um, and so, uh, and we've got six different things. I'll, I'll list them as we go of just how you ought to walk. This, this should characterize your walk as a believer. So let me get this out the way up front, right? That the, This message was written, this book, this letter was written to Christians. So much of what's being said is, is to believers. And so if you're here as a believer, I'm talking to you. If you're here and you've not yet given your life to the Lord, we'll we'll address that in a little a little later, a little toward the end. But but the words that are spoken here, there's an expectation that God has for believers that's different from what's expected from those that don't know God. Amen. Y'all know as believers, God expects something different from you um, that he does. He gets, he's got a much higher expectation for you. And so the things that are spoken here are spoken to believers uh, about what's expected of believers. So now. Look at verse one with me. It says, finally, then, brethren, we urge we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. So the first how you ought to walk. Number one is our walk. Our walk with God ought to be progressing. Um, Paul said to them, look, I urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Something about the Christian experience is that we're, we're never done, right? It's not like a, 
Christianity is not a destination, right? It's not like I made it. I'm in. I'm a Christian. I'm done. It's but it's a it's something that continues over the course of our lives that we're never done. We're never done growing until we make it to heaven. We're going to be in this process where we are getting to know God better. We're being sanctified. We're growing. So the first thing Paul says to this church that was they were in pretty good shape, right? Remember, Paul had heard good things about him. Uh, he had heard how they were doing. He's not really correcting them. He's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm exhorting you guys to keep going. And so the first thing he says to them is, look, you ought to, you, you guys ought to, you should abound more and more just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. And so maybe you're here, you've been walking with the Lord for some time. Maybe you're doing really well. Maybe you, you see progress. Um, you see that you've, you've, you've grown and you're growing. Paul would just say to you today that, hey, make sure you keep growing. You're not done yet, right? Don't settle where you are. Don't, don't get satisfied with where you are when God wants to take you further. God wants to grow you even deeper than where you are today. And so we ought to be progressing in our walk with the Lord. Um, we should abound more and more. And then he says this, you know, that this is, I'm sorry, he says um, that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And that's the goal of our walk is that we want to walk pleasing um, that we want to live in such a way where God would be pleased with what we're doing. Um, and so that's the goal of the Christian experience. Can you guys think of anybody in Scripture who walked with God and it pleased God? Enoch. That, that, as I'm looking at this whole chapter, I keep thinking about Enoch because we're going to learn about walking with God, taking away from this place. And I, as I'm reading through this chapter, I, it made me think that I wonder if he had Enoch in mind. I don't know if he did or didn't. But, you know, Enoch in Genesis chapter five, um, verse 24, just he walked with God for a long time. But he walked with God and God liked it so much that he took him and he went to heaven early um, just for walking with the Lord. And I, I, I the thing I like about the walk is that it's, it's a little sim it's simple. Some people think that in order to please God, I got to I got to I got to have, you know, shots and fires and, you know, fireworks and all this crazy stuff. And God was like, if you just walk with me, that, that's what pleases me. If you could just walk with me. And if you think about a walk, a walk is just consistent, steady, forward progress. It's not a sprint. It's not a run. It's not a violent chase. But if somebody starts walking and they keep walking, they're going to continue to make progress. And that's what God wants to see in our walk and our relationship with him. Are you moving forward? Have you, are you standing still? Or are you falling backwards? Where are you at today? And You want to get back into a space where you find that you're making steady, forward progress in your walk with the Lord. Again, number one is our walk with God ought to be progressing. We ought to be making progress in our walk with the Lord and knowing that that's what pleases him. Uh, it says how you ought to walk and to please God. So uh, that's number two. Our walk with God ought to be pleasing to him. Uh, it should be. It should please the Lord. And for those that don't know, like how do I walk in such a way that it pleases God? Like how do I make sure that I, I walk in a way that pleases God? Well, Think about any other relationship that you have, right? If I'm, I'm married, if I want to walk in a way that pleases my wife, I, I simply do the things that she likes and don't do the things that she doesn't like. It's that simple, right? If I want to please somebody, just do what they like and don't do what they don't like, they'll be pleased. If I want to please God, it's the same thing. God, I'm going to do the things that you like, Lord, and not do the things you don't like. Here's the, the trick. You can't really know what God likes and don't like unless you spend time with him in his word. So you got some believers out there that they, they don't really they don't know what God likes or don't like or wants or don't want because they don't know him through his word. And you got to be careful about learning God through people because people will misrepresent him. Right. 
Um, I, I watch a, I watch enough Christian TV and I listen to enough you know podcasts and YouTubes to say there are folks out there saying that God is okay with some stuff that I'm telling y'all he's not okay with. Uh, it's folk out there lying on God for a living, um, and they got podcasts and followers and everything else. And um, you know now there's some good ones too, but you got to be careful. You got to know God through His Word. And if somebody's gonna tell me God like show me in the text, I want a verse for that. I want a, I want a scripture and verse. And so as later on, we're going to come into some of the sexual immorality and some of those things. And I'll just tell you right up front, there are churches and pastors and ministers that would say that the things that we can read in the Bible that God says, don't do. There are people that would say, eh, it's all, God's all right with that. That's what God used to think. But, but God, like, as though God matured out of this, that's the old God. The new God is like, man, do all that. You know, um, I just want to let you know when you die, you're going to stand before this God. Now, there's not going to be the new made up God that's like, you know, smoke weed and have sex. And, and you know, that, that God is not in here. So um, we'll, we'll come to that later. I, 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 I'm moving too fast. Uh, look, at verse, look at verse two now. It says, for you know what commandments we gave you through, our, through the Lord Jesus. And Paul is reminding them that, look, this information I'm giving you guys is not new. Remember, Paul has spent three Sabbath days with them. And he's saying, look. The things I'm telling you, I'm just reiterating some of what I've already told you. Um, I think this is an important point, too, because as believers, I find oftentimes it's not that I don't know stuff. How many guys would agree that sometimes you just need to be reminded of stuff you already know? Uh, A lot of times as believers, I'm not getting new information, right? I don't go to church. I'm like, I didn't hear anything new. It might not be that I need to. I need to hear that old truth that I'm not doing yet, you know, or I need that. I need to be reminded of the old thing. Even sometimes when we're going through specific challenges, there could be things that, you know, but you need to hear from somebody that's not in your emotional state. You need somebody that's not as wrapped up emotionally as you are in the situation to bring that truth. And that's where we have brothers and sisters in the Lord that we speak to one another and we encourage each other in the word. I've been encouraged by friends that have told me verses that I know, but I just needed to hear it from somebody else at that moment. And so Paul is saying, look, it's not new what I'm telling you guys. You've already heard these things, but I'm reiterating it because I want I want to see you guys making progress in your walk with the Lord. Look at verse three now. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So number three in our how you ought to walk is Our walk with God ought to be sexually pure. Paul says in verse three, for this is the will of God. It's interesting as a pastor. I think that's one of the most common questions that we get from people is, um, hey, how do I know what God's will for my life is? I want to know the details of what God wants me to do. What do I do for a job? Who do I marry? You know, where do I live? You know, all these different things. And God has a will for every person's life, and this isn't the entirety of it, but this is a part of it. God says, look, this is the will of God for you. Number one, first thing, your sanctification. Now, I know in some some church circles, this word is kind of, you know, people saved, sanctified, and and all the things that come along with that. But what does sanctification actually mean? Because it means something. The word sanctified, the way he uses it here, it means to be set apart from the world to the Lord. Simply. Um, another way you could say it is to be set apart by God for God. Sanctification means it's being set apart. And it says, This is the will of God. The first thing he says is your sanctification, your being set apart from to me. And I would liken it to a, a marriage. 
uh, something that happens in marriage when a husband and a man and a woman come together in marriage, they're being separated from everybody else to each other. Right. When a man stands at the altar, he's saying of all the women in the whole wide world, I choose to be with you exclusively. And the woman is saying of all the other brothers in the world, I'm choosing exclusively to be with you. Um, and so I'm, I'm separating myself from all of them to be with you forever till death do us part. And it makes that's what makes the relationship special. Right. You're choosing me over everybody else. That's what makes it a special thing. God says, look, I've chosen you. Now, I, but I, I, it's my will that there be sanctification, that you choose me now. It's my will for you that you choose me over the world, that you choose me over the other people, other things, other lusts, other desires, other passions, that you choose me, that you put me first. That's God's will for your life. And so I think sometimes the reason people can't hear clearly the details of what God wants to do is because this thing hasn't happened yet. Right. You got people that are saying, God, give me the details and God is saying, you're not even, you haven't even separated from the world to live for me exclusively. So if that fits, right, if that, if that applies to anyone listening, that would be a first step. If you're, if you're someone that's saying, man, I just want, I want God's will for my life, make sure that there's a life of sanctification, that you set yourself apart from some things to the Lord. I was thinking about this as I was preparing. You know, when I first got saved, like many people, my life was a mess and I had all kinds of stuff going on in my life. But as I look back, you know, I, you know, there was I was responding to conviction as it was coming. So my life didn't change all at once, but it seemed like pretty rapidly things were being changed. And one of the first things God dealt with me on when I was when I first got saved was the fact that I was living in all kind of sexual sin. I was shacked up with someone and all that kind of stuff. God was on me immediately about that. And as I yielded to that, which was a struggle and a battle, but as I was you. As I was yielding to God in that area for, I would say, a relatively short period of time, maybe a couple of months. Uh, I was a couple of months clean, if you will. Guess who I meet at the airport? That's where I met my wife out there. I was at, I was at LAX airport. I wasn't wife hunting. I was out there getting money. And, um, and I met her. And I, I, as I look back on this, I really feel like, you know, I wonder if I hadn't have stopped what I was doing. If I if, if I would have missed that, you know, I might be with some boogaboo right now. Like, you know, how did you end up with her? I don't know. I just I just obeyed God and I got hurt, you know. But um, so I, I you know, I, I wonder I don't know, but I'm grateful that it seemed like, you know, a relatively short period of obedience. And then God said, here, here's a here's some hope for you. Uh, here, here's here's what I might do for you if you get your act together. So God wills that we be set apart. Uh, by him and for him. And sometimes our unwillingness to be sanctified, set apart, uh, it, it could be blocking or hindering us from what God would like to do, what he would, what he would desire to, to do in our lives. And so again, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Then he says this, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And before I, I hit that real clear, there's two aspects of what it means to be sanctified. There's a there's a spiritual sanctification and a practical sanctification. The spiritual aspect of our sanctification are, are belonging to the Lord. It's position. It's called uh, the the theological term is positional sanctification. It means my position is in Christ. If you're if you believed in Jesus, even though you're imperfect, still you're positionally sanctified. You are in Christ, and nobody can take you out. 
and your imperfections won't kick you out. You belong to the Lord. If you mess up bad enough, he'll spank you, but you are his child. You are positionally sanctified, but God wants, that's not the word used here. The word used here is the practical sanctification where God says, I want you to do your part, right? I, positionally, you are mine. You are in me. You are born again. I got you. You're safe. You're my child. And God says, now over here, I want you to, I, I want you to practically live out what I've done for you spiritually, positionally. I want you to live it out. I want you to now choose me. I want you to now put me first. I want you to now, you know, walk away from certain things. And so that's what Paul has in mind here, the, the practical aspect of sanctification, that we would set ourselves apart from other things, from other desires, from other passions and, and choosing the Lord to do that. So then he says this, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. If you're taking notes, the word abstain means to keep oneself entirely away from. So if you abstaining from something, can you have a little bit of it? No, it's all none of it. Right. If you abstaining, you can't have a little bit of something you abstaining from. So he says, I want you to abstain, which means to keep oneself entirely away from. Then he says sexual immorality. Now, the Greek word here is vast. It's the word is pornea, where we get our English word pornography from. Here's all this encompass under this. What is sexual morality? Here's everything under that word. Uh, I will not be, I want to be gross, but I want to be complete so that we have clarity. Um, adultery, which is sex with someone that's married, but they're not married to you. Or that you're married, but you're having sex with someone that you're not married to. Adultery. Fornication means that you're not married, but you're having sex. That would be fornication. Uh, pornography. So, so someone you, you're watching, you know, naked people. Or you're 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 involved. You're watching things that are inappropriate that way. Pornography, um, lust, and self sex. That would fall under this uh, arena as well. Any illicit sexual in, in, uh, activity, any type of sex that's not husband and wife together having sex. So the only sex that's blessed of God is husband, wife, in marriage. Do y'all, y'all, are we clear? Do I, everybody, everybody, everybody agree with that? Y'all do we have? Okay. That's the only, that's the only sex where God, here's the crazy thing, right? God spends all this time in the word telling unmarried people, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Then what does he got to tell married people? Do it, do it, do it. First Corinthians seven, three through five. God tell the married people now do it. Now you got people that sinned against God. They whole, you know, single life, get married. And then they, they're like, now they don't want to give it up. Uh, that's a whole nother study from somebody else, but uh, you know, uh, th that's wrong too. But you know, here God is saying, look, any other kind of sex is wrong. Now we live in a they they were in that's not like it was a sexual a sexually perverse culture like where we live today. We live in a sexually perverse culture. There's things available all over the place. People are okay with things that are not okay with God, and so Paul is exhorting them, not like the Corinthian church. When Paul spoke to the Corinthian church, he was correcting them because they were participating in this stuff. When God is talking to the church of Thessalonica, he's saying, guys, I'm just warning you. I'm giving you a heads up. I'm letting you know what God's will is because I know where you live. I know what's all around you. Right. And so maybe some of you are it's all around you and you need to be reminded that God wants to pull you away from it, and keep you from it. Maybe you're listening. You would say, man, I'm wrapped up in it and I want to give you some information that would help you to be free of it. But God says, look, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would abstain, that you would entirely keep yourself from all forms of illicit sexual activity, all sexual immorality, that you would keep yourself from it. So um, how, how do we do that? How do we live in a world that is immersed in, you know, all the things that we're immersed in and keep ourselves 
from sexual immorality. Um, well, it was the first word, something you abstain from. It's something you choose to do. Now, this is something I've learned about the Lord. If God commands us to do something, he also empowers us to do it. Amen. So God's not going to command you to do something and then leave you powerless to obey the command. So if God commands us to abstain, it means that you can do so with his help. Um, that God will empower you to do what he's, you know, to walk out what he's called you to walk in. And so I would challenge us as a church, uh, as individual believers, married people, single people, because um, this this applies to everybody. You could be married and, and messing around with pornography or being unfaithful to your spouse or lusting after things that you shouldn't. And and I understand that men and women are different. You know, I think men are more prone to pornography, though women get into it. Women can be reading books and, and fascinating about, you know, somebody that's not the husband that God gave you. Um, and so we got to be careful about all these different forms of, of, of sensuality in our culture. They're television shows. Um, I, I literally know marriages that broke up because somebody got into a TV show and then they began to want what they were seeing on the TV show. And be dissatisfied with what they had. And it led to adultery and a breakup in a so-called Christian home. I, I, I'm aware of these situations. We got to be careful what we take before our eyes, what we sow into our hearts, um, what, what we allow. Because we live in a sexually perverse culture. And so let me come down to verse 4. So it says you should abstain from sexual immorality. Then it says in verse 4 that you shouldn't, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Um, some people think this, you know, uh, the, 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 the possessing your vessel here, speaking of your spouse. I actually think this is speaking of take your vessel, your body, that you, you should know how to possess your own body in sanctification and in honor. That we should know how to possess our own selves in a way that would honor and glorify God. The word possess, it means to acquire or to get a hold, to take control of something. And so God says, look, possess your possession, man. Possess your vessel. Um, you're in control. Everybody know you're in control of what you do with your body, right? Unless somebody is, is, is taking you against your will, we are in control of what we do with our body. So Paul says, look, possess your vessel. God wants everyone to be able to possess their vessel in sanctification and in honor. Now, I think it's important that we realize we're responsible for what we do and what we allow others to do with our bodies. We're to possess them. Now, this changes in marriage. In marriage, we give ourselves away, right? So uh, if you're single, um, you know, this, this is, I got to speak to my, my unmarried people because uh, there could be single people that are in a boyfriend-girlfriend situation or, um, or, or, you know, or, or otherwise, single being that you're not married, um, you can't give yourself to somebody else. They can't possess you. Um, but you have single couples that, and that they're not married yet, but they're boyfriend-girlfriend, and they're like, oh, that's mine over there. No, nope. Y'all got to don't let them do that. It, it, not till not till there's a marriage certificate and a covenant signed by a pastor and the court. You don't own Jack. That's what I, that would be my suggestion, especially for the young ladies. Uh, don't let somebody be thinking that they own you. They possess you. They you mine. No, no. I could be if you get your act together, but I'm not. You know, um, don't allow someone to have that. You possess your vessel with sanctification and honor. Biblically, we've not, we're not to give ourselves away until we give ourselves away in marriage. Amen? That's the biblical picture. Now in marriage, God tells the husband and wife, your body is not your own. It belongs to your spouse. You gave it up. You gave it away. Um, that's the right place to give it up, give it away, um, not beforehand. So Paul says again, we sh each person should know how to possess 
his own vessel in, in, in this way, in sanctification and in honor. Um, and so immorality is the, it's the opposite of honor uh, because it degrades and it debases a person's self. Those who don't restrain their sexual desires are acting more like animals. They just follow every impulse, you know? Imagine a withered, seemingly dead houseplant that doesn't look like it will survive. You check on it daily. You give it water and make sure it's getting the right amount of sunlight. Then finally, it perks up. The life has returned to it. Your patience and love prevailed in revitalizing it to a healthy state. This is what Christ does for us, as we're reminded in 1 Thessalonians. Friends, we can be refreshed and restored instead of discouraged and tired. What a grand picture. There are many life-giving nuggets found in the Bible like this one, and so much more to learn about. That's why this ministry dedicates a space on our website to download the mobile app. This is a great tool to have because it allows you to hear the teachings of Jesus whenever and wherever you are. Head on over to calvaryinglewood.org and scroll down to the bottom of the page. There you'll find the information you need. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. We'd be ecstatic for you to join us this coming Sunday if you're in the area. There's a service at 11 a.m. And for our early birds, a 9 a.m. service. Tied up on Sunday with other things? We understand. There's also a midweek gathering on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. You can find the directions and other helpful information on our homepage, calvaryinglewood.org. Would you consider partnering with us to reach more people for Jesus? If so, just click on the Give tab and know that we're grateful for your generosity. Well, we're out of time for today. We look forward to the next time we're together, right here on A Transforming Word.